Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. It's finally here. Happy session day. After two years, we're finally back for an in-person legislative session at the Texas Capitol. Hello and welcome. I'm Muddy Sabono, CEO at Every Texan. And with me to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly is Every Texan's Chief of Legislative Affairs, Luis Figueroa. Luis oversees our legislative strategy during session, but he also has a long and illustrious career in Texas politics and policy. He was the executive director of the Senate Hispanic Caucus, general counsel for Senators Jose Rodriguez and Silvia Garcia, and the senior legislative attorney for MALDEF. The first time I walked the halls of the Capitol with Luis about nine years ago, I felt like I was with a rock star. <laughs> Happy first day of session, Louise. How's it going? It's going great. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, we're we're back again and uh, ready to rock. It does feel pretty great to be here today. <laughs> Lots of energy in the building. So the, the last time we were in session, uh, public access was pretty limited. Things were, were definitely running a little differently because of the pandemic. How did COVID impact our policy work last session? Absolutely. Last session was, we called it a stress test on democracy oh. uh, because it was, stress test. Um, it was a real mess. Um, you know, people did not feel safe coming to the Capitol and rightly so. The rules that were put in place to protect the uh, public safety uh, were inconsistent, not widely understood and under enforced. Um, the Texas House, the Texas Senate, and the Capitol Preservation all had different rules for how to testify and how to come into the Capitol. Uh, and many advocates didn't feel safe. Uh, and special interest groups, particularly you know the corporate lobbyists, um, took advantage. Um, they sent their lobbyists and they participated fully just like they always have, uh, while the general public uh, was left missing from the conversation. Because there was a lot of confusion, right? Yeah, there was a lot of confusion. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether it was safe um, I remember, uh, you know, after I was vaccinated, uh, finally came in in mid-session, and one of the first hearings was on vaccination and a room full of unvaccinated folks um, in a very tight room in a public hearing um, just did not feel safe. And um, uh, But, you know, you definitely saw the, the long-term lobbyists, the corporate lobbyists, um, and so conversations around health care, um, around schools, around um, the, the fundamental institutions of Texans uh, were lacking the voice of everyday Texans uh, because they did not feel comfortable or did not understand the rules coming to the Capitol. Wow. So uh, sounds like um, some pretty dramatic impacts on um, transparency and access to the Capitol, which is really unfortunate because this is really supposed to be the people's house. It's not just a place where elected officials and their yeah. staff have their offices and they run business. This really should be a place that's full of, of everyday Texans. Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. Uh, this is the uh, fundamental place where policy is made for the people of Texas and they should be part of those conversations. Um, there were, um, you know, even even the rules um, related to how to testify were very confusing. Sometimes you could register online. Sometimes you had to come in person. Sometimes you had to fill out a paper card. Um, and it, unfortunately, as as a result, um, the there was a lot of issues um, that lacked that robust 
you know, dis uh, discussion. Um, and and even if sometimes that discussion doesn't feel like the legislators are listening, the fact that they have to see your face, mm. that they have that you have access to that hearing, mm. um, and that you're on the public record makes uh, you know all the worlds of difference. And, and last session, um, that was just missing. Sure, very very psychological and yeah. symbolic. Well, um, it's it's a new day. It's a That's new right. day today. That's right. Um, now, we, we have a biennial legislative session, and that means that our state legislators only meet to make laws every other year. So it's, it's definitely a big deal for us policy wonks here in Texas. What do you think the big issues are going to be this session? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is, uh, you know, since we only meet every other year, um, sessions are a big deal. Um, they, it's 140 days. Um, it's your one opportunity to, you know, really impact um, the state's uh, laws, but more importantly, the state budget um, and the moral documents of um, and the priorities of the state that we put in our appropriations bill. Um, that is the one thing that they are required to pass um, the appropriations bill, um, SB1, HB1. Mm. And so um, I believe that that is going to be the fundamental issue this session because of the um, increase of revenue as a result of the sales tax and inflation. Um, there is a real opportunity to put some investments in Texas, whether it's in education, in healthcare, infrastructure, um, the grid. These are real um, issues that Texans have struggled with for many years, and we have been under-investing uh, for decades. Um, and so there is a real opportunity this session, um, but if people don't demand it, if they don't participate, um, there will be a lot of special interests ready to grab those dollars. And, and so that all the more reason we need to be present. Yeah, we heard uh, yesterday from the Texas Comptroller in the Biennial Revenue Estimate, the BRE, that our state legislature this year is going to have $188 billion in general revenue to work with. And just to give folks an idea, that's 26% more than they had last session. And to give an even even more context, when in, in past years where there's been an increase in general revenue from one session to the next, the double-digit increases have typically only been 10 to 13 percent. But this year, we, we have a 26 percent increase. And so you're you're an insider, Luis. You're um, in all the back rooms here. Everybody everybody <laughs> knows all you. Of them, but I try to. <laughs> Every, everybody knows you. Uh, what you know? What are you hearing? Where where is the legislature focused? Not where do we want them to be focused, but where are they focused? What are you yeah. hearing are going to yeah. be the big priorities of our our yeah. governor, our governor, lieutenant right. governor, our speaker this year? Yeah, I like to joke. Uh, I may not be in the room where it happens, but I may be in the room adjacent to it, right? <laughs> Um, so I, I at least like to um, hear where, where some of the decisions are making. Uh, but no, um, that's absolutely right. Um, there are going to be some really big issues that are tacked on the, in this session. Um, so when we talk about taxes, I think that's first and foremost in mind. You know, the governor and lieutenant governor, um, as, as, you know, as predicted, are going to be emphasizing um, property tax cuts. There are ways to do property tax cuts that actually help um, individuals. We could do um, support to counties and cities to help them with rental assistance mm. programs. Uh, you can do homestead exemptions that are, are that are targeted at low income, or actually um, you can do it at a, 
as a flat tax, which would um, disproportionately help um, lower income. Um, but more importantly is that we don't use all this money for tax cuts and then miss the opportunity to spend on health care and education and infrastructure. You know, um, we know that retired teachers have been shortchanged for years. Uh, we know that current teachers are really struggling um, to meet the needs of their students. Um, and we have a real opportunity to increase what we call the basic allotment, mm -hmm. the fundamental block of school finance. And when you do that, it rises all boats. Uh, it increases funding for all those students that have special needs, whether we're talking about bilingual emergent students or students with disabilities. It raises the teacher um, pay because it's already been tied to mm. from 2019. Mm. And it reduces recapture um, funds. So in places like Austin, uh, where there are you know quite a bit recapture funds, oh. it'll reduce the recapture money that's paid out of the, out of the district. So there is a... Um, there is a real opportunity to rise all school districts, rise mm. all students, um, and meet those needs um, if we're willing to invest uh, and not just give um, tax cuts to corporations and the wealthy. Yeah, uh, our senior policy analyst, Dick Levine, who's been working in budget and fiscal issues for mm -hmm. many decades decades at this point, he, he framed it um, yesterday. He said, we need to think about how to make investments, mm -hmm. not just expenditures. And uh, That's I think absolutely right. You know, it's absolutely right. We need to invest in our kids. We need to invest in our teachers. Uh, we need to invest in our workers. Uh, and that all can be done this session. For years, you know, I was, uh, an ins uh, I was a capital staffer. And, um, you know, when, when my bosses, the senators, would ask for different funding needs, we were always told, well, we'd love to do that, but there's just not enough funds. Mm -hmm. uh, we would love to do that, but, you know, we have this other need that's more important. Well, this is an opportunity, this session, uh, where they can't say that, right? Mm. We, we have enough money to um, meet the needs, uh, at least in more ways than we have in the past. Um, and they can't say, well, we just you know, uh, don't have the money this time around. Um, so the way I see it is we have been underfunding. We haven't been paying our bills. Mm. Um, so it's not a surplus. Uh, it's an opportunity to catch up um, oh, and I really that. put that investment into where we have been underfunding for years. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so we, you know, we know where some of the, um, you know, the focus is, where some of that tension is going to be. You just mentioned property mm -hmm. tax cuts. Are, are there any priorities that um, you feel are missing from state leadership's mm -hmm. agendas as you understand it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one that first comes to mind that's easy and just makes all the sense in the world is Medicaid expansion. Mm. Uh, we uh, at Every Texan, um, with our with our uh, allies in the health industry um, and, um, and and a number of uh, allies, have been pushing for Medicaid expansion in Texas. Um, it is fiscally sound. You know, we they only have to put ten percent to get a ninety percent match from the federal government. Wow. We. Um, Four different studies came out talking about how it would raise billions of dollars of revenue, um, that it would not be a, a negative um, fiscal impact on the state. And most importantly, we'd be able to, um, you know, really provide health access and health insurance um, for the millions of uh, low-income um, and people of color in Texas that mm -hmm. would uh, disproportionately benefit from health insurance. There is a, a gap in Texas, 
and um, and these and these folks unfortunately uh, get emergency care to provide that gap, and that's really not how we should be doing healthcare uh, in Texas. We lead the nation on the un uninsured rate, and there's no reason for it. Uh, many red states have done it, um, mm. including all the red states that border us. So it doesn't make any sense why we haven't done this. Um, unfortunately, it's just not a priority for leadership. Uh, but that doesn't mean we should give up on it. Uh, we need to be present. We need to keep demanding it and keep mm. it in the conversation. And in fact, last session, we had a majority of members. Yeah, I was just going to say, there wasn't there a broad bipartisan support There, there was broad bipartisan support. There was a, a bill that um, a majority of Republicans and Democrats had signed on to, um, but leadership refused to give it a hearing despite having the votes for it. Um, so we're going to keep the push on it. Um, we know um, that it's going to be an uphill battle, um, but we know that there is support for it, that it makes sense, and it's, it's a fiscally sound and smart decision that would help um, all people of, of Texas. Yeah, it's, it's really shocking because Medicaid expansion would mean healthcare access for literally millions of Texas in the wake of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those are Texans who, when they're sick and can't get care, they're, guess what? They're not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, they're not keeping our businesses running. They're not keeping our economy running. Um, so it's 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 not just a, the impact on our families. You also think about what kind of impact that could mm -hmm. have on the future of our state and the future of our workforce. Absolutely. It makes all the economic sense. <laughs> I will say along these lines that there is an opportunity this session that has been prioritized, and that's the 12 months continuous care uh, for postpartum coverage. Oh, can you ex um, can you explain what yes. that is? Because you see that phrase a lot, but yeah. for folks who, who aren't so, you know, obviously we have a, um, a serious issue in Texas where many women, uh, after they have a baby, end up um, having health care needs um, re related either to, a comp you know, to uh, an issue related to the, the birth or um, related to postpartum depression or whatever it is. Uh, and those issues usually extend or many times can extend more than four months, more than six months. Absolutely. Um, and so if this person is on Medicaid, um, this this proposal they're asking for is to allow for that person to stay on the rolls for 12 months continuous care mm -hmm. um, so that we can make sure that um, these women um, are absolutely able to receive the health care that they need after having a baby and if you know if you're gonna call yourself pro-life in light in light of the Dobbs decision mm. um, then we need to actually provide for these women we have an issue with uh, postpartum mortality rates we're one of the leading states in uh, health care needs um, after after, um, after having a baby, and so as a result, um, we have found, and many states have found, that if you provide that extension of coverage, you can really make a difference. This is one where the speaker is actually uh, on board with us. Um, Great. He, is, um, he has said the right things and, and seems to be wanting to make it a priority. Um, and so our fight on here might be on the Senate side, hmm. um, but we're, we're hopeful that um, with enough activation, with enough people expressing support for it, uh, we can get this one through the finish line. Um, but it, it is going to be a fight, and it's going to require um, a lot of uh, folks to um, be active and present on this one. How many months do tech, of coverage do Texans get now? So we um, did extend it last session uh, to six months. Uh, was there an option to extend more last session? Yes, there was. And in fact, uh, we had been pushing for a year. The bill started at a year. Um, other states do a year, right? Other states do mm -hmm. a year. Um, and the Senate, uh, unfortunately, as, as part of a compromise, cut it to, to six. Um, and, you know, and it was you know up from four, so we're moving the right direction. Uh, 
but in Texas, uh, as you know, uh, incremental change, um, it's just um, part of the process. We, we don't do things, um, you know, uh, as holistically as we should. So we got it from four to six last month, or last session. Uh, we're hoping to get the full year this session. Oh, well, that's a shame because that's uh, two years um, yeah. that, that doubtless... Um, yeah, no, yeah. no reason for it. Um, you know, it's, it was structurally sound, and, and as you mentioned, many states have done it at, at twelve months. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of last session, there, it actually hasn't been that long since we were last in session. We had yeah. sort of a, a record mm-hmm. marathon, back-to-back special sessions after the close of our regular session last round. And that has contributed, um, at least from what we've seen, to a lot of um, legislative staff turnover, um, a lot of burnout. How do you think that's going to affect how things work this session? Yeah, you definitely see it um, in the staffing. Um, we have a tremendous amount of turnover, um, both as from the members as a result of redistricting and um, primaries and, and the elections. Um, but even more so, we have a huge number of turnover from staff. Mm-hmm. Um, both um, legislative house staff and legislative senate staff you know and that's you know twofold one um, the burnout from having to go um, three you know months uh, three additional sessions and three additional months um, but also I think there was a big impact of the fact that they were used as political pawns last session uh-huh. um, you may remember the governor vetoed article 10 um, uh, I'm sorry article was it Article 10? Uh, yeah, it was Article 10, that's right, that vetoed the legislative um, budget that um, ensured that they would get um, their funding during those special sessions. And it didn't affect the members. It only affected staff. Wow. Um, and as a result, I think a, a lot of um, really great staffers, um, you know, f- were upset. They, you know, as a former staffer, I can tell you that many of them, um, are just true professionals. They right. are there to try to create the best policy. Regardless of party. Regardless of party. And and sometimes they don't even agree with their bosses, but they're there being professionals and being trying to provide the best services for their constituents um, and to use them as, as a political gamemanship, um, I think really just didn't sit well. So I think there is some turnout, um, some um, burnout. Some burnout, yes, thank you, with uh, with the staff. Um, but I, you know, I'm hoping that um, this session will um, will maybe see a, a pay increase for them, um, as well as as for other agency staff, um, and start renewing the um, the trust and the faith um, that they deserve. Yeah, folks need to remember that when we increase um, the pay for uh, for workers in our social service areas, that we are. It's it's goes back to where do we want to make investments That's versus right. just expenditures. That's something that benefits all of mm-hmm. us, benefits all Texans. So at, at every Texan, we believe social justice requires public policy. Yes, That's sir. our credo. Can you tell folks a little bit more about how our policy teams mm-hmm. are structured, the teams that we have on the ground here in the Capitol, and also what have we identified as our priorities this session? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, our our bread and butter, so to speak, has always been our Invest in Texas team. This is our tax and policy team. Uh, we spent a little bit of time earlier talking about the importance of the moral document of the budget and the tax policy. Um, Dick Levine has um, has always been our, our um, go-to on a number of these issues and the, you know, the so-called ways and means. 
Um, but I think what I'm really excited about um, some of this work is that we're going beyond the charts um, and data analysis uh, and really taking it to the communities and really building our community engagement. Um, we have used you know, some tools in the past to help people get engaged with their legislators, um, but I think we're, we're trying to go even further now and, and really get some authentic engagement in, in communities outside of Austin and get them engaged in that budget and tax policy um, through the people's budget. Um, and so that's very exciting to be able to, to really make the connections between the legislature and the policies at home and how it impacts it. Um, so that's, um, that's one area. The other area that we work on is economic opportunity, uh, which is from pre-K uh, pre all the way to retirement, really, from, mm. from cradle to grave. Um, and so we work a lot on issues related to you know, funding for pre-K, K through 12 education, higher education access and, mm. and, and financial aid, uh, as well as worker rights um, mm. in, that, in that area. Um, and so in a lot of those issues, you know, when it comes to worker rights, um, the legislature has not been friendly to workers for many decades. Um, so we're launching a, a workers' power movement and really talking about the importance of uh, bargaining, um, the importance of worker rights, um, and, and really trying to also defend the ability of cities and counties to protect their workers, uh, which has been a big fight in, in previous sessions. Yeah, that's so that's what you'll see referred to a lot in the media and in public discourse as preemption. Right. And uh, it's really fascinating because Texas is such a big state, mm -hmm. and it you know it's so different. I mean, you you simply cannot compare a community in West Texas to a community in the valley or right. an urban area like Dallas to a you know small little Absolutely. town like Liberty and. Um, it, it really seems to make sense to leave um, control at the local level mm -hmm. so because those are the entities that can, can best meet the needs mm -hmm. and they best understand and can best meet local needs. And it's, I'm, always, I'm always just staggered when there's talk about eliminating that control because it, yeah. it seems and to really undermine yeah. um, our, you know, kind of our vision mm -hmm. of ourselves as Texans. It's a recent phenomenon, uh, you know, clearly um, when, you know, urban counties started turning more blue and more progressive, um, there was a pushback um, on that, which is really unfortunate because um, the issues that impact cities and counties um, are a lot of times... Um, widespread and so just like as states can be experiments hmm. cities and counties can, can should be able to be allowed to do experiments That's in terms best, of policy some of the best ideas and, come and, from. and see if it works you right. know and rather than um, doing it statewide and you know having to undo it um, <laughs> you can do something in Austin you can do something in San Antonio you can do something in Dallas and see the impact it has and then see if you can grow it out to other counties and other cities and, and then maybe take it statewide um, but it really does hamper the abilities of cities and counties to be able to meet the needs, as you said, to their constituents, um, because they are, just like the state legislature, just trying to meet the needs of their constituents, responding to voters, um, and every county and every city has a little bit special needs. You know, El Paso, where I'm from, um, is a very different community uh, from Houston and a very different community uh, from from a small city in, in, in rural Texas. So um, uh, we're hopeful that we'll have a little bit more um, discretion for cities and counties to set those policy and their tax rates and their uh, education policy and their worker rights. Um, the other priority I wanted to mention uh, is in our, um, uh, our health and food justice team. 
We talked about Medicaid. We talked about postpartum coverage. But one issue that really came up during the pandemic is food access. Yep. Um, saw, saw all those newspaper pictures of yeah. the long li- the long lines of cars lined up at food yeah, banks. Yeah, there was a, an iconic picture. Mm-hmm. Um, San Antonio, in San Antonio, my exactly. Um, and so food access was a serious issue during the pandemic. Um, and one issue in particular um, just makes absolutely no sense, and that is um, denying people SNAP benefits, um, you know, uh, supplemental n- uh, nutrition um, benefits, um, the food access, um, based on the worth of your car. Uh, wow. And when cars, uh, as we know, have gone through massive inflation, we are not even tying it to wow. inflation. Um, so a car that is, you know, basically working may not uh, may be worth too much in order for that person to continue to receive their their um, their food access their their snap benefits um, and it just makes absolutely no sense we had a bill last session that would tie it to inflation we not even get rid of it which was really what we should do but at least tie it to inflation knowing that uh, how much um, cars are worth these days uh, it passed the house and it got stuck in the senate um, so we're hopeful this session we can finally get it through uh, because inflation should not be something that only benefits businesses, right? Um, right. There's real people who are impacted by inflation. Um, and so right now we do adjust for inflation for things like the franchise tax cuts, but we don't adjust it for things like school costs with a basic allotment, and we don't adjust it for things like SNAP. Um, so I think uh, we can make the argument that it needs to be a two-way street. If we're going to adjust for inflation for, for businesses, then we should adjust it for families as well. Absolutely. Fair's fair. That's right. Yeah. So uh, we're getting close to the end of our time together today, and I know you're busy. You've yeah. got a lot of work uh, for today and for the next 140 days. Um, why don't we just close with what's, what's something that you're really excited about this session? What's something you're really looking forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what I'm really looking forward to is um, bringing people back to the Capitol. Um, there's no question that it was very difficult to do our jobs last session, um, not feeling safe, not having you know people behind us, not having the community um, feel that they can be engaged, um, and, and having to just rely on um, the inside game. So I'm really excited to see people back in the Capitol. I'm excited to have hearing rooms uh, where, where they have to listen to constituents um, and hear real issues and real problems of, of everyday Texans. Uh, and I'm really hopeful that we'll get a couple of things done that really make a difference in people's lives, whether that's um, access to food or uh, increasing health care coverage for, uh, for postpartum coverage um, or you know, just increasing funding for um, agency staff as we approach uh, you know, the public health emergency. Um, these things will make a big difference in everyday Texans' lives, and, and that's what keeps me going all these years. I love that, and I know it's what keeps our team going, too. And if, you know, if you're listening and you are feeling fired up, too, and you want to get engaged, please do visit everytexan.org. We will help you get plugged in. Um, we would love for you to tell your story um, here at the, the Pink Dome, the Capitol. Um, thanks, Luis, for you being got here. It. Thanks for having Talk me. Talk to you soon. Good luck today. You got it. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.